Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Yeah. You're in the right place, folks. This is for Conversations with the Mind, and I want to start by thanking all of you out there who continue to listen to our podcast. Thank you! You guys are awesome! Keep telling people about the podcast. Let's bring more people into the conversation. Please continue to like and share the podcast when we share it on social media. Help us spread our message further and further. If you like the content on the show and you find it valuable in any way, I know I do. That's why I do it in the first place. But if you do as well, please feel free to donate. Donate to this Grammy award-winning podcast. To this Grammy and Emmy and Globetrotter award-winning episode of the podcast. Hit the donate button at the bottom and donate a dollar. Donate five dollars. Donate a thousand dollars. But donate. All right. Thanks, folks. Please continue to support the podcast and support our YouTube. Go to the MindOps YouTube page whenever you get a chance. Like, I don't know, right now. Pause the podcast. Go to the YouTube uh, page for MindOps. M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. We got all kinds of videos. We got videos that we're making ourselves. We got these podcasts put up on video. We got video categories that we've pulled from the from the research on the deepest depths of the internet and made nice little playlists for you guys to expand your consciousness and explore these topics more and more. So go check that out. Check out the YouTube page. Check out mindops.com, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. And now a word from your sponsor. Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored by MindOps.com. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military, through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. All right. So today's good news story comes from the Good News Network. You can find that at goodnewsnetwork.org. And the title of the article reads, 109 countries coordinate sting operation to seize illegally captured wildlife, leading to 600 arrests. Now it talks about this uh, joint operation called Operation Thunderball. It was a mass operation involving 109 countries, resulting in nearly 2,000 seizures of protected wildlife, 440 ivory pieces, more than 4,300 birds, and nearly 10,000 live turtles and tortoises. Um, pretty insane. Uh, this was organized by Interpol and says it was Interpol's largest ever coordinated seizure in history. I think that's pretty awesome. That's, that's a great way to use their uh, international resources. So it talks about, uh, let's see, the practice of ancient Chinese medicine um, using all sorts of things from... 
uh, shark fin, rhino horn, scales on um, a mammal called the pangolin, uh, which apparently is the most trafficked animal on the planet. So it looks like Interpol and World Customs Organization um, put together this sting. Uh, it was pretty cool. Over the month of June, officials seized 23 live primates, 30 big cats, uh, more than a ton of pangolin scales, um, 74 truckloads of timber, more than 2,600 plants, and nearly 10,000 marine species. Um, so that's pretty insane. I'm looking at some of these pictures, and um, they just like look like shipping containers full of tortoises and turtles, and uh, that looks like pretty terrible stuff, the way that um, these poachers were shipping them uh, and selling them to the black market. So... Um, it looks like Operation Thunderball was a success, uh, and they they made a lot of arrests, which is cool. They got rid of a lot of people uh, who are trafficking in these illegally captured wildlife as well as plant wildlife. I think it's super important that that kind of effort be made. Um, you know, we've got to kind of leave those leave those uh, parts of nature alone. <clears throat> All right, so. That's today's good news story. Now, the conversation with my mind today starts with um, a little reading that I'm going to give you guys. And this is from a journal article that I was just perusing the other day. It's from the Journal of Experiential Psychotherapy. Let me get you the title. Hold on. All right, the title is Understanding Human Consciousness. Theory and Application by um, Maritha Prinsloo, Ph.D., out of the U.K. So this is the Journal of Experiential Psychotherapy, Volume 21, Number 2, um, and then parentheses 82, June 2018. Okay, so this is a, the conclusion section of this article. I'm just going to read it to you in its entirety because it just blew my mind and put together a lot of pieces all at once. All right, so the conclusion of this article reads... Exploring the way in which human beings interestingly become aware and interconnected touches on the fundamental issue of our existential purpose. Available perspectives on consciousness, its level-specific contents, how it translates across various manifestations of our reality, the biological and subatomic dynamics involved, as well as the implications for collective and transcendent consciousness— all soften the divide between the depth of our subjective experience of consciousness or the territory and our theoretical and speculative maps of what is involved. It seems that consciousness is more than sensory awareness, feeling, and thinking. It involves a sense of self which is inextricably embedded in a delicate awareness of transcendent consciousness. It manifests as a psychological ambiance or mental configuration which guides our decisions, often in counterintuitive ways towards achieving our emerging personal purpose. It also takes on a prominent role in directly determining our own perceptions, preferences, and decisions as well as those of others. Consciousness may be colored by physical, psychological, and cultural factors, but may transcend those aspects. Its development seems nurtured by richness of experience, interpersonal harmony and love, spirituality, depth of interest, introspection, intention, and feeling. 
The key catalyst for the emergence of higher levels of consciousness, however, seems those of practicing compassion and observing silence. Although there may be fluctuations of our levels of consciousness at certain periods of life or under certain circumstances, an overall tendency or state of awareness mostly tends to prevail. It affects those around us and can be leveraged to transform organizations and societies. Within the context of individual and collective life, however, consciousness is ever emerging, as pointed out by Graves' predicted possibility of a next choral level as a higher red power orientation to be realized in the SD spiral. The subject of consciousness thus remains deeply mysterious, but of profound importance for the proliferation of life and our continued existence and growth. Boom! Pretty powerful stuff, huh? So, anyway, I read that uh, article the other day and just felt like that conclusion was so well-worded and I wanted to share it with all of you folks out there. Because um, if you're listening, then I know you're interested in things like this. Um, pursuing the mind and exploring it. All right, so that was part of conversation with my mind today. Uh, the last little bit of my conversation I've been having recently with my mind is just an exploration, and I'm going to just leave a brief little challenge for you all to um, challenge yourself to contemplate this uh, topic I'm going to throw out at you uh, and contemplate it and you know over the next day or two however long it takes you to get through a couple podcasts and we'll readdress this uh, and at another podcast probably uh, in a week or so Um, but I want you guys to consider this idea of a fractal mind Okay, so we, we've heard and we've talked about a fractal universe or a holographic universe in which um, things like the Mandelbrot set, this famous geometrical shape that kind of shows us the fractal nature of nature itself and of reality and how everything is, um, how do they say, as, as so below, uh, so above. So everything that exists in this level in this cosm right now uh, also exists in a higher cosm and a lower cosm as well so we can you know think of our bodies as universes in in and of themselves inside of a much larger universe which we you know have our telescopes and we study that kind of thing and right now there's theories that that universe that we're studying right now might actually just be a smaller fractal of a larger connected universe something much much larger where you can, you know, travel between universes and dimensions in this multiverse, maybe through black hole portals or something. But also that the universe kind of goes down infinitely in, in a fractal nature. So if our body is maybe a universe in and of itself, going down to the cellular level and then down to the molecular level will show you that there's an entire universe down there as well. And a lot of the same physics... And the same uh, realities that we experience on any particular level can sometimes also um, be affected in the same manner on different levels, different higher or lower states of reality, of matter, of consciousness. So I wanted to put it all out there that uh, there might be something to this idea of a fractal mind, because if physical reality is of a fractal nature, then why can't... Uh, 
more ethereal things like, you know, mind or consciousness also be of a fractal nature. And by fractal nature, I mean, you know, holographic in a sense, uh, that if the universe and all reality is organized fractally, must maybe the mind also follow this fractal nature? It's kind of an interesting question. And what are the implications to that as well? Um, things that popped in my head that I've been considering, and I again, I challenge you guys to take this out and consider it for yourself. But when I think of a fractal mind, I think of, you know, if my mind is one little bit, one little frame of this larger hologram, and yet each frame of the hologram contains an image of the whole, then my fractalized mind, my little tiny but very important slice of this collective consciousness, just like all of you have, that this is a complete reflection of the larger hologram, okay? That within myself, within my consciousness, within my mind are the answers or maybe the experiences of the entire collective consciousness. And I'm wondering if there's some way that we can access more information, more data inside this holographic mind and maybe figure out cool and interesting and novel ways to download information and maybe improve upon our holographic image, maybe expand it into alternative dimensions. Interesting. But we'll get back to the fractal mind in a future podcast. Anyway, our guest today, very special guests, and um, this podcast is coming out on the, t- on the coattails of them moving from Colorado to Las Vegas um, to start their new life, and we wish them well. Uh, Jake and Avery Sage uh, were our guests today. Very, very special people. Uh, you guys will, will hear right away uh, just how awesome they are. They're a couple, uh, they're a fighter couple, um, but they're also you know, bonded in a lot of different ways that we talk about. So both of them are fighters. Avery is a fifth grade teacher. Uh, she's three and one in her amateur kickboxing career so far, and is also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor. Uh, she has numerous gold medals um, in her jiu-jitsu endeavors. Jake uh, is an occupational um, therapist. Uh, he has a clinical doctorate in occupational therapy. He has a three-in-one amateur MMA record and is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt and also um, has numerous gold medals in jiu-jitsu competition. Um, So it was very special having them on the show, and right before they were literally, um, you know, a couple days later on the road in their U-Haul to Vegas, we wish them well. And uh, thank you so much for contributing to the podcast. Uh, hope you, all you listeners love what you're about to hear. It was super fun and uh, was a really, really special podcast. Um, really felt bittersweet at the end of it. So I hope you all enjoy it as well. All right, let's get into it. Thanks for listening. Here we go. This is the Conversations with the Mind podcast, where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence.
Alright folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. This is episode 48 and we're sitting here with very special guests, Jake and Avery Sage. How are you guys? Good. 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 Hi. Hello, hello. No need to be nervous. Okay. There's just (laughs) millions of people listening to this award-winning episode. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This one's up for uh, Grammys. Yes. So. Honored. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so uh, first question I I always ask all my guests, and I want to hear it from both you guys, because obviously you guys are two different manifestations of individual consciousness, individual streams of consciousness. So... um, what does the phrase conversations with the mind mean to you guys? And we'll start with, do you want to start? Sure. Avery? Okay, sure. so what does conversations with the mind mean to you? How does that land? What sort of images come up in your head when you hear that? Um, you know, I was talking to someone at that we were going to be on your podcast, and they were like, oh, what's it called? And I told them, and they were like, oh, that's an interesting name. And I was like, yeah. And so I was kind of thinking about it, even though I didn't know it was a question. But um, to me, it just really means like openness with yourself and being that openness with yourself, but then sharing it with other people at the conversation part, I guess. So, but that deeper, just like looking at what's it, I don't know, I said it already, but our, what's inside and then sharing it with okay. each other. I'm going to pick apart hers real quick before yeah, you answer. Because um, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. So I like to call that our inner verse, right? So if, ever this, if this is our outer verse or our universe outside of us, like this is our inner verse. And I like how you're talking about being open with yourself. And what popped in my head right away is like, there's not a lot of people who are like 100% super open with themselves or vulnerable or willing to accept all the negative or all the flaws of themselves as well as all the positive things, right? Like, I know myself, like, it's tough to receive criticism even though I know criticism is what helps me grow. But even more so, it's harder for me to accept compliments, right? When people say, like, positive things about Mm -hmm. me, I'm like, "Uh, I don't know about that, right? So so that's interesting, like, being open with yourself. Talk talk a little bit more about that. What does that that look like for you inside? Um... For me, I think it's really similar to what you said, just that idea of taking the good and the bad and also letting um, people speak into my life in ways that I might kind of like deny to myself, things that I'm good at, like you said, or um, just what I want or how, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but just like who I am and um, like you said, the good and the bad and um, living with that, but also growing in that and finding out who I am, like my best self, mm-hmm. I guess. So then that was the first part of it is, is this journey of self-discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, through this conversation, this internal dialogue that we have different parts of ourselves. But then the second part you said was like sharing that with other people. That's a very yeah. important aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can have all this knowledge of self and knowledge of the world and experience and things, but if we keep that to ourselves, like what good is that yeah. um, it whereas if we if we share it with one other person then it impacts one other person and maybe it ripples out and affects other people we share it with like in a podcast format like this right <laughs> yeah. we share it with like a group of people to those listeners out there and then they share it with their friends and they're like oh you got to hear this podcast right then it has even bigger ripples yeah. uh, and then it has it holds more power like this knowledge you accumulate about yourself and about how you come to experience the world now can help other people in their journeys of, of self-discovery or, or of discovering like what the hell this thing is that we're all living in, yeah, right? That's exactly. Nice. I like that a lot. 
Okay, what about you, Jake? What does conversations with the mind mean to you? Um, when I think about like how I define the mind, you know, thoughts, um, processing, how how we're wired, I guess. Um, and so I think talking about that, and once again, I think sharing too in that conversation is um, kind of a shared thought of how we're wired and how we all kind of see and feel and interpret things differently that we all experience probably similarly. So. Hmm. If that makes sense. No, totally. And I'm glad that I have both you guys on the show at once. Yeah. Uh, you guys are a married couple. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm discovering this for myself, being newly married, but Callie and I seem to share a brain in a lot of ways. Uh, but we differ in a lot of ways. It's like we're two hemispheres of mm-hmm. the same brain, you know, um, where she may be more emotional, empathetic, things like that. I'm more pragmatic and planning. You know, we complement each other That's in those exactly ways. exactly what we are. Exactly. exactly. Complimentary, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but I really wanted to have you on today, Jake, because of your professional background and your schooling. I think a lot of your, your schooling in, and I'm just going to say this as a general term, in Western medicine, yeah. right? Um, from that perspective, I got a lot of my training in psychology from Western medicine too, and there was a large focus on, like you said, how we're wired, but specifically how we're wired um, neurochemically, electrochemically, how we're wired in our nervous system, Mm -hmm. uh, things like this, as opposed to maybe someone who was trained in more Eastern medicines, they may hear the terms wired this way may think of like energy systems in the body uh, or chakra systems or we were talking about uh, like dry needling and acupuncture the other day yeah. um, and then someone from my background from psychology or philosophy I may think of wiring um, as being like behavioral patterns yeah. so maybe not even a lot to do with the physiology but more with like how our mind um, dictates our path in life okay. you yeah. know so those three different from one versions of wiring term right but i wanted to have you on because i i assumed and i may be wrong i assumed that you have the perspective of like your mind will go automatically to the wiring like uh, between neurons and and synapses and things like that am i correct in, in that yeah mostly yeah i guess so i so i do occupational therapy and like the huge kind of founding principle of it is that um if we want your body to respond a certain way we're going to make it do something a certain way and that's going to cause a relationship with all the neurons in your body to now start becoming like that's its new normal so um, if you had a stroke and your arm was not extending all the way we're going to extend the heck out of your arm until that just becomes rewired to your brain that says my muscle can do that Mm. so i think of yeah a lot lot of what you said is yeah from that kind of western medicine standpoint um, but a lot of it i think is also from environmental experiences as well I think they connect mm-hmm. pretty strongly it's almost Pavlovian in, in the way you guys recondition muscles yeah. um, muscle memory you know we, we all know about muscle memory from our martial arts experience right that's oftentimes the best way to train something or to get your body to do something that you didn't think it could do is to do it over and yeah, over and over absolutely that's interesting yep uh, there's a principle it's called Hebb's principle and they said the nerves that fire together wire together and so if, if you're putting something through emotion or you're, you're performing activity over and over and over again, your brain starts to recognize that activity as normal over and over and over again. It becomes easier to do that activity, and then we call it second nature. Mm-hmm. Just, and yeah, in psychology, we would, we would say the same thing, that the neurons that fire together wire together, and especially with like depression 
or like negative self-talk, Absolutely. right? That we all have. Uh, if we continually tell tell ourselves negative things about ourselves, it wires those parts of our brain together. And, yeah, we start to believe it. It becomes an identity, yeah. right? It becomes more than just a conversation in the mind. Then it becomes like this is who I am. Absolutely. Now I'm depressed, right? And um, it's a matter of, in my opinion. Uh, it's a lot of different things, right? You got to rewire the physical neuron structures and the and the electrochemical signaling, but you also have to rewire the thinking patterns, rewire the behavior patterns, rewire all these things together. It's multimodal yeah. in the approach, right? And I think Western science falls short a lot of the times because we're so focused on like one methodology yep. instead of hey, let's take a combination of all the things together because we are this super complicated organism. <laughs> I think I think you're exactly right. I think also um, going for a quick cheap fix um, because everything tends to be money centered and time is money. And so um, I know at least in the therapy world, they want, hey, I know you said it's gonna take you four weeks to get there. We want you to do it in two though. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think you're right. Anytime we have all these different components coming together, um, yeah, there's an easy way out and it's not very effective. And so uh, a lot of times I think it's a lot more difficult to actually sit down and target all those separate entities Mm -hmm. at the same time or together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of self-awareness, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily, like we were talking about before the podcast, it's not necessarily our place as human beings to know the reasons why we're here or what we're supposed to be doing with this life, but it is our responsibility in the mere fact that we're here, it's our responsibility to do the best that we possibly can with what we have, yeah. right? We may not even know what we have. We, we, we don't know what we're capable of. But what knowledge, what self-knowledge we do have, we need to use it to continue to better ourselves, but in my opinion, uh, also like help other people as Absolutely. well. And you're a teacher too. Yeah. So you're, you're, like, you're like helping mold these little kids all the time. You're a fifth grade teacher, right? Yes. Yeah, so you have to be like a generalist. You're gonna know all the subjects, yes. and you're really, you're really helping to shape these kids and how they perceive reality at a very important time. What age group is that? Um, fifth grade would probably be like almost nine and ten. Nine, ten, almost eleven. I don't know. <laughs> almost middle schoolers. They're the crazy age, I guess. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, because they're transitioning, so they're like, I think it's a lot of things, like we're talking about all these different parts of being human, but like a lot of their like hormones and they're just, they're like growing up and kind of gaining their own independence. So it's a crazy time in their life. But yeah, like you said, a really important time to be molding and growing in them, so. Mm -hmm. I think this thought just popped in my head because I don't think I had this thought consciously when I was in fifth grade, but as a fifth grader in traditional schooling, Western schooling, that's like your first experience of being the top of the food chain. Definitely. Oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Like in K through 12, that's your first experience. Mm-hmm. And then the very next year, you're bottom of the barrel again mm-hmm. in sixth grade, mm-hmm. you know? And then you get that again in eighth grade and then bottom of the barrel. But for, yeah, like you said, fifth graders, they're finally coming into who they are in mm-hmm. relation to other people too. Yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. Yeah, they finally can have their own opinions and their own little friend groups. And I mean, they have friend groups when they're little, but just like growing in that and becoming, I don't know, they're mm-hmm. crazy. I have a lot of interest in, uh, and possibly a dissertation topic for my PhD on preventative mental health programs, okay. especially for kids. Yeah. Because um, not only are we seeing like, uh, in, you know, over prescription 
or overprescribing of, mm-hmm. of meds for like ADHD, ADD, overdiagnosis of bipolar, and all these things happening much younger ages. You know, a lot of these diagnoses going out, and in the DSM, it's saying we can't even diagnose these things until a certain age, and yet these kids are getting diagnosed and medicated for these things yeah. before they're fully developed. Yeah. Do you experience that, like kids, um, medicated kids in your Yeah, classrooms? I'm not in... Last year, I experienced that a little bit, and then um, one little boy I know, um, he's been medicated for a long time, um, but I haven't experienced it personally in my classroom. But I know I've talked to parents about it and their idea of medicating, and it's kind of hard because um, they want to calm them down and settle them down. But I'm like, no, this is who this kid is. Like, they're so much energy and um, full of life, and like calming them down kind of worries me. But so I don't want to yeah. say it's good or bad. But sure, it's, no, but it makes me worried. I'll say it's bad. Yeah, I'll be the one. Who okay, says thank it's bad. you. Okay. <laughs> it because, scares me. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, if you think about it though, when these parents tell you like. You know, you ask, why do you medicate them? And they say, because we need to slow them down. Yeah, but what's the root of, why do you need to slow them down? Yeah. Is it because the kid needs to be Because slowed they're down? getting in trouble in class, and then okay. the parents don't know what else to do, and it's just, yeah. oh, there's but so many. It's also probably because the parents oh, yeah. want the kid to slow it's down. Quick, yeah. yeah, quick, easy fix, right? Yeah. Like, this kid is too hyper for me, therefore I'm going to change them so that I am not going to go crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. That's kids hard. have been crazy since Forever. kids were kids. Yeah. That's how they're supposed to be. That's what we. That's what kids do. <laughs> yeah. So, so my idea for preventative mental health programs kind of stemmed out of this uh, thing that I observed that all these kids were way over medicated. Um, you know, I had adult clients coming to me for therapy, saying, you know, I've been on these antidepressants since I was ten or twelve, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Your brain chemistry is totally out of whack since you were a kid. You know, you never had a chance to be normal. Um, and so my idea is, you know, if we can in, institute, like, um, a curriculum around consciousness or a curriculum around, like, mindfulness uh, or meditation for yeah. these kids and just give them something, um, some information, some education on, like, hey, you have a brain, but you also have this thing called a mind. Yes. And, like, we don't know what it is, but here's what we think we know, and, you know, yeah. let's go explore it together. Um I feel like giving them the tools to gain emotional intelligence and maturity, um, teaching them how to cope with um, cope with emotional states that don't feel good, mm-hmm. using tools like their mind, mindfulness and meditation, and being able to use these tools at a young age, I think can prevent a lot of mental health issues later in life that are mostly stemming out of trauma that are stemming out of uh, stress, that are stemming out of abuse, things like that, that if these kids had the tools at the elementary school or middle school yeah. age, then they, they were still going to experience trauma, but now they have the tools to deal with it instead of going to Working like... through it. Yeah, or going to like alcohol or going yeah. to like suicide. Suicide is huge for kids these days, right? Um, so that's my idea. Yeah, that's and awesome. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain, too, because you work with these kids. Yes. Um, what are some ideas that you have for me on how I can maybe tailor, like, a mindfulness or meditation-type program to kids? Like, I don't know. Like, what are fifth graders receptive to? Pictures, movies. Videos. Uh, videos, right? Active things, so activity. I have, so I have to make it, like, hands-on. Yes, okay. hands-on is definitely a big thing. Um, 
for kids now. I don't know if you know about this, and it's super awesome. I just found out about it last year. There's this program called Mind Yeti. Have you mm. heard of it? Mm-mm. It's exactly what you're talking about, except it's awesome. Mind Yeti. It is a program online that teachers can subscribe to, um, and I think that you could do so much more like with it, but it's beautiful. It's like meditation for kids, and it kind of is a video or... Um, a group of videos, I guess, that you can just choose if you're stressed, if they just need to breathe, if they need a break. Then you just turn off all the lights in the classroom and everybody, I was in a classroom, I saw everybody lay on the floor Mm. and just, it plays and even the teacher did it with them and it was just like, it was beautiful to see the difference in, oh, these hyperactive kids that just came back from lunch going psycho crazy to them laying on the floor silently to them starting their reading group afterwards just calm as could be ready to go like very like in their own um I think there needs to be more build up to it like you were talking about wanting to talk to them about their brain and like what's going on in their feelings so that mind yeti I think is an awesome way to insert that into the classroom but I think you're right like there's so much more we could do to prepare them and to prep them with more tools that they could do on their own or they could just learn more about themselves Mm. um but yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'm excited to see where mm-hmm. you go with it, but you should definitely check that out. I will. It's amazing. It yeah. sounds like it's, I mean, I, I've read uh, research on uh, mostly in the upper, what is it, the northwest of the U.S., like Oregon and Washington. They've had uh, some good research on mindfulness and meditation-based programs in schools mm-hmm. and like kids getting better grades and having less behavioral issues at school, but then also taking the skills home with them and having less behavioral issues in the home too. The parents are like, yay, you know, our kids are more manageable now. And, uh, you know, I think that can lead to less over-medication, less uh, stress later in life, um, greater ability to cope and adapt, you know, these, these skills that are not necessarily taught in school, like, hey, you might need to be adaptable later in life. You know, <laughs> what if you get fired from a job? Now what are you going to go might do? Might be important. Yeah, so I yeah. think I think it's important to start addressing some of these underlying bigger life issues, Agreed. not just teaching like, hey, this is the constitution and blah, you know, not yeah. just facts, but like, yeah. hey, how do we how do we teach you guys how to go beyond critical thinking to now let's teach you guys how to interact with yourself and the environment. Yeah. So that, you know, because our kids are, you know, it's corny. Our kids are our future. It's true. It's okay. <laughs> but, but we're only going to take this conversation so far, right? Yeah. It's the people yeah. that we influence and that we teach that are going to answer the questions that we're asking right now during this podcast. Yeah. I would say kind of to go off what you're just talking with Avery about for your dissertation. Um, when I was at a pediatric uh, rotation in Boston, they did a lot of um, kind of mindfulness. And it was with really little kids um, starting interventions. So... It was basically having like how old? two, three, oh wow, four. Yeah, so it just, I mean it kind of varied. Most of the kids in the clinic were different diagnoses, um, but a lot of them were regulation issues that they could not regulate how they were feeling because it's new to them. They don't know what's going on yet, and so um, and I think this pertains clearly past fifth grade. But um, I think that a lot of what they did is is okay. You just did something you shouldn't have done. Now was it because you were too much energy? Was it because you were mad? Was it because you were sad? Like, and trying to really pinpoint these. And so what I saw from that in just a week was kids going from not understanding why they were getting in trouble and why they were doing something bad and, and what was causing it to saying, okay, every time I did this, I was way too excited. So what do I have to do to calm down before I start doing this? 
And um, it was just really cool to almost start like that problem solving conversation with mm. kids. And then what I also saw from that was a lot of education for parents. So now parents at home, instead of just yelling at their kid and spanking them or putting them time out or whatever the parents do to discipline their kid, they're saying, okay, look, where were you at? Were you at this revved up zone because you had too much energy? Were you angry? Why were you angry? Were you sad? What caused you to be sad? Why did you respond this way? And obviously with two-year-olds, maybe that doesn't work as well. But when you start getting three and four years old, they understand that to an extent. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that if we can educate parents as well, then they have an advocate at home with them. And obviously this doesn't go for all parents or caretakers. They're, you know, we're not all perfect people. And I think that's easier said than done. But I think that um, if I'm going to send somebody with exercises home, I'm going to hope they do them. If they don't, then they don't get much better. If they do them, then they get a little better. That's the same idea. If you send something with parents home saying, hey, look, try this. Um, you know, your kid gets in trouble at school every day because he talks without raising his hand or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That was my, my problem. I always like, get so excited because I felt like I knew the, all the answers. And, um, but just somewhere to just understand so you're self-perceiving what is causing it. Um, and I think that was really powerful and I, I take that I'm not a parent but I have a nephew who's two and I started doing some of that same stuff to him and it was just like instantly a whole like night and day shift mm. and it was really cool to see so yeah, I think um, when I was young you know I hated my mom for doing this but I'm so grateful that she she had the insight to do this as a single mom raising two boys um, but sometimes when I would get in trouble with her she would part of my punishment would be um, to write her an essay or write her a paper on like why I did what I did, you know, and I think it gets to this this aspect that you're you're talking about teaching, you know, that goes beyond just teaching right or wrong or teaching facts or teaching, you know, even up to this point, you know, what do we learn in college? Uh, we learn a bunch of facts, but essentially college teaches people how to think critically, mm -hmm. right? I'm talking about going beyond that, right? What's past critical thinking? Well, let's teach these kids the why behind Absolutely. the reason, you know? Teach them how to explore themselves. Teach them how to slow down and ask themselves, oh, why did I just punch my little sister, you know, when she, <laughs> when she took my toy, you know? Um, and having them slow down to answer those questions. Um, we see it every day in like our society, like even adults, mm -hmm. they'll do something um, reactively or reflexively uh, in response to somebody flipping them off, you know, that just cut them off or whatever. And then they'll, you know, reflexively go flip them off and um, that they never stop to ask like, well, why did I just retaliate in that situation? Why did I just cut that person off? You mm -hmm. know, why did I feel the need <clears throat> to step on my coworker to get a leg up? You yep. know, um, most adults don't have those skills to be able to slow down and ask until it's too late. And why? Why would they? Because we're not teaching those kinds of skills in school, mm -hmm. and not even when you get to college do you go through that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, think that crazy. goes beyond college learning. Yeah, that goes. Yeah, definitely does. Mm -hmm. It's like. <laughs> so, what do you think you learned that? How did you? How did you guys become self-reflective? Or, or I guess I can answer this first. Yeah, um, sure. So I grew up with my grandma. Um, my grandpa died when I was little. And um, me and my sister didn't get along, so me and my grandma were good friends. Um, and I rarely got in trouble, mostly because my sister would get in trouble. And I was scared. Older sister? Older sister. Mm -hmm. I was scared to have the same punishments. Um, and I always liked when she was in trouble and I wasn't. It made me feel better. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, um, I started, like everyone else, not 
like that at all and I had an ego, I had pride and then it all got taken away from me and I was humbled very significantly. And after that I was like, oh wow, like we're all people, right? We all just figure this out together and you know, I've, I think we all go through our own kind of crap if you will, but um, I think as soon as I was humbled. How did you get humbled? Um, I, Sounds like it's a particular situation. Yeah, I had a pretty significant injury. Um, mm in high school I uh, lost some scholarships to go play football and that to me was my identity that was my whole world and I was on top of it and um, it didn't work out and I couldn't understand why and maybe or maybe there isn't a reason I don't you know that's up for debate but at the end of the day I learned a lot from it that you know we're just people and it doesn't matter how smart talented amazing you are like all the stuff we still have stuff we struggle with we still have to go through all this stuff and I think that was the first time I hit a low point really in my life and mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know how to deal with it, so I just started dealing with it, and that came from you know counseling, talking to friends, a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, I was gonna say like who taught you to to deal with it in the way that you did? Uh, it was just a lot of trial and error, a lot of poor trials, and. But you you mentioned a couple people. Yeah, yeah. Like your therapist was really instrumental. didn't like my therapist at all <laughs> actually. Um, it was it just wasn't my thing at the time. I mm -hmm. still like kind of screw everybody. I don't need anybody in my life. I'll do it myself. And then that didn't work. And then I go back and I didn't like them. And that didn't work. And I go back. And uh, but no, it was it was really it was a lot of I would try it the way I thought was right, and then it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And so then I go back tried a different way, and then it didn't work out. And then finally I got to the point where it's like I got to start being real with myself because I know a lot of these things. Like I know I'm being selfish. I know I'm being feeling sorry for myself. I know I'm feeling angry and I'm just not dealing with those things so then I started to just accept help I started to um, mm -hmm. actually talk about it and when I started talking about my struggles and my difficult things it got a lot easier to recognize oh wow like other people are dealing with this too and then we could all kind of go through that mm -hmm. together um, even though it was different and I stress that a lot we all go through hard things just different hard things mm -hmm. and so they don't always add up but we all go through something that's difficult and I feel like we can all share that struggle and that I think helped me a ton mm -hmm. with kind of realizing hey I just need to be real with myself because that person over there is hurting and they're going through something and like yeah maybe I don't know what it's like to get hit by a car and have serious PTSD after an accident but you know I had something that was difficult for me to go through so I know what it's like to go through something difficult I think we all have been through something difficult yeah I think we can all share share the weight of the pain that Absolutely. it means to be human yeah. I have this uh, sticker on my uh, it's on my other water bottle but it's from Rick and Morty uh, and it says existence is pain and that's a that's a Buddhist philosophy um, that you know life is suffering that's just plain and simple it's gonna be painful at certain times and you have to part of life part of learning is to learn to maybe deal with the pain more effectively yeah. um, I can totally identify with your story too because and, and the podcast listeners know about my story too but uh, you know tearing my ACL uh, early in my jiu-jitsu career um, having my entire identity tied up in my athleticism and then losing my identity in one instant yeah. um, only to find myself lost back into substance abuse, uh, back in self-harm behaviors, things like that, yeah. and depression. And then, you know, finding, like you said, through trial and error, like finding this, this pathway to understanding that I'm more than an athlete, that I'm a person, and that other people feel this way too. And now I must, you know, now I can, uh, I'm being given an opportunity to work on other parts of my life that I've been neglecting. Um, that is the reason by the way that I assigned to that happening at the time I was like 
you know, there's there's no possible reason, good reason for this to happen. Yeah. And I've chosen to say that it gave me an opportunity or forced me to sit down and take care of the areas of my life that I had been neglecting yeah. because of my athletics and because I was so wrapped up in it. Yeah. And that later inspired me to become uh, a, a sports psychology consultant because I didn't have that person who knew about loss of identity through injury. And now I had been through it myself and I wanted to be that that guiding light for others who would find themselves in that situation and be to being totally lost. And I'll be, you know, I want to be that person to say, hey, you know, there is a way out. I've been through it. Yeah. And here's the way I found, like you said, yeah. sharing your peace helps you heal yourself. When I think when people understand, oh, they went through this too. Like, it's doable. It's not so far away. It's not this huge wave crashing down. It's, it's just another wave and we're going to keep swimming in and you know, fighting the current together. But yeah, it, it, it makes it something that's so, what we see at the time is insurmountable. Like, how am I ever going to get over this? This was everything to like, oh, okay, this is just the next step. And this is just the next part. And I think when someone has experienced that and they can kind of help guide you through that a little bit, then I think it makes it more real that, hey, this isn't the end of the world. This isn't the last stop. This is just one of the stops along the road. So mm. Have either of you guys ever had the experience of getting any advice or mentorship um, from people who have not been through it, who are suggesting a way to get through it? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't like my counselor. How, because he hadn't been through what you'd been through, right? Yeah. yeah, and I experienced that too. Uh, I just recently was working at an addiction clinic and there were two of us therapists, um, but I was the only one with uh, substance abuse in my actual history. Uh, and I'd hear that from a lot of the clients, you know, that they prefer talking to somebody who'd been through it. Um, it, it was just a different real. experience, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, we're all sitting at this table, we're all martial artists, right? It's like, would we go into the gym and expect to learn jujitsu from somebody who, uh, who's a swimmer? No, probably not. Not jujitsu. Right, no. <laughs> Maybe YouTube jujitsu yeah. or something like that. Stroke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to ask you guys about that, too, because that's how I know you guys is through the martial arts world. Uh, and I, I met you guys first um, a couple of years ago mm -hmm. when you were training at a different gym. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in the last six months, you've started training at Z's with us uh, per more permanently. Uh, and Jake, you've been training with us for the last couple months more permanently. Mm -hmm. uh, I was hoping you guys could tell the listening audience a little bit about your um, your journey through martial arts. How did you guys find it? What were your reasons for getting into it? And uh, how did you guys find yourselves at the place you are now? I always find that a fascinating journey. It's like a yeah. hero's journey in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jake's part of my reason, so he should share his reason first. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, I tried wrestling in college, and I got beat up a lot. Um, my last match, I got slammed on my shoulder pretty good. And um, after that, I just couldn't compete, and I decided I didn't love it as much as I needed to to, to compete at a Division One level. And um, one of my teammates at the time was Justin Gonzalez, and he was telling me about the gym he trained at and how he was fighting. And I said, okay, we'll check it out. And so I started boxing, and I said, hey, for 25 bucks a month, you could start Muay Thai. And I said, oh, that sounds way better, because um, I was terrible at boxing, and I wanted to kick people. And so I started doing Muay Thai, and absolutely loved it. And then I got to the point where I was getting head kicked so many times because I couldn't keep my right arm up because my shoulder was just completely trashed that um, I said, okay, I'm going to have surgery, and then we'll come back to it. So I had shoulder surgery, and then... 
Um, they started jujitsu at the gym that I was training at, and so I said, "That's great!" Like I was a former wrestler, like jujitsu should fit right in. I was. Um, so hold up. So yeah. your your initial reasons for getting into martial arts came out of this place of like, like you had a competitive nature, but you couldn't compete in the sport that you wanted to, and yeah. so you you finally found something else that you could do. Yeah, right. And martial arts was was that thing. Exactly. Rex nice. flag football wasn't doing it for you. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> you go from something so physical in nature to yeah. something absolutely not physical. It was very hard. Um, okay. But yeah, so then started doing jiu-jitsu, started competing, and then I was like, wow, this practices are way too hard to not actually fight. Like, it's too much crap to go through to not compete. And so, all the sacrifice every single day you step on the mat. Yeah. Um, so, Especially if you come to my jiu-jitsu class. Exactly. Um, that's why I don't show up. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I was like, is that tonight? <laughs> I don't know what day it is. But, yeah, so then um, my last, my first fight was kind of a short-notice villain fight um, against a guy who was pretty tough and um, ended up winning and after that I was just kind of hooked um, so it, it's just there's something about the adrenaline that you get when you're competing and mm-hmm. you have every chance to lose but you kind of control your own destiny and it's one of the few things I feel like especially sports wise that you get to control every aspect of it so that's a big part of your inspiration now is it's a it's an aspect of your life where you feel maybe more control yeah. than other areas well, I just like the fact that I can outwork somebody in it show mm-hmm. Versus in football, like I could be the best offensive lineman, not saying that I was, but I could be the best offensive lineman on a very terrible team and we could still not win a single game. And I could have, you know, an amazing performance and it wouldn't matter. Or I could be the best basketball player in a team and score 60 points and we still lose. Um, Because of the team. But in fighting and jiu-jitsu, you kind of control every aspect of competition. And um, obviously you're competing against someone in a very direct sport. And... um, when you lose, there's no one else to blame. When you win, um, you have a whole bunch of people that helped you along the way, but you won. Mm-hmm. So I it's interesting, and I find the same thing. Like jujitsu uh, gives me a lot more control over myself. It gives it's like a training ground to learn how to control my emotions and my physiological things, but also how to control another person's body, Absolutely. right? So that they're no longer in control of their body, but I am. Yeah. Um, to us, having experienced it, there's that aspect. But to an outsider looking in at like MMA or jiu-jitsu, it seems like chaos. It seems like, how can you possibly be in, in any control in the middle of a fight? Yeah. Right? It's like, uh, yeah, people automatically go to this fear response. I have a really good friend who's been trying to get into fighting for a couple of years, and his wife is not letting it happen. Mm-hmm. And... Um, because she's scared he's going to get hurt. And I was like, well, what if you got hurt walking outside? Is she going to keep you inside the house the rest of your life? You know, like, mm-hmm. I just think there's so many things that we we worry about, too. And I think they're valid. I didn't start wrestling for a while because I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I don't really want to get hurt. And then football, I could justify that. No, my head was fine. My back was fine. My knees were okay, you know. And I was getting beat the heck up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think there is something that's to the outside world it looks terrifying but I think the art of that control and that aspect is um, incredible I and that's think. where the art comes in it, it is an artistry to to control your own body in space yeah right and to have complete control over different muscle groups and fast twitch and slow twitch muscle yeah. fibers at an instant and to have you know in my realm um, you know teaching myself to have mental control over things like my metabolism uh, my heart rate uh, my breathing rate, um, things like that, being able to, you know, mentally heal myself faster uh, with the placebo effect, um, 
rather than you know working against myself and saying you know this is going to take forever and yeah. poor me and all this stuff so <laughs> learning how to use my mind to to help improve and optimize uh, bodily functions but also my external expression too yeah well i think there's something amazing about being you know, six three, three hundred pounds, and being able to roll with someone who's one hundred and forty pounds and not hurt them. Yeah. But then be able to in a very specific way when I want to. But you know, when we're training, there's so many people so much smaller that it's like it wouldn't be hard for me to hurt them. It's just a matter of having that control that hey, like we're gonna be okay because I'm in control of the situation. I'm not gonna just break your arm on accident or hurt you. And I think that especially the more that we do this sport, the better we get at that. Um, just having that awareness and control over an entire situation so yeah and that's one, one thing I think a lot of people kind of um, pass over the martial arts with is that it teaches us so much more about ourselves and about how to navigate this world that we live in beyond just the mats like yeah we learn a lot of technical moves and we you know I'll learn how to break your arm 10 different ways and <laughs> you know I'll, you know I'll learn all these things um, but by learning about myself, by learning that I can handle someone like you with your weight sitting on top of me, um, wanting to physically attack me, and I can slow myself down and breathe nice and slow and keep a calm mind. Absolutely. Like, That's to empowering. me, yeah, now I can take that out into the real world, and when I feel like life is wet, like sitting on top of my chest, punching me in the face, I can remember that this happens to me on the mat, and I can just take a deep breath. Yep and just do what I do there. It's like, if I can handle that, I can handle anything else in life. Absolutely. And that's the piece that I think gets uh, neglected, you know? Yeah. So Avery, what was your, uh, what was your introduction to martial arts through Jake? Through Jake. So I knew he was going to practices for a while. Um, I supported him, obviously, just in his sports. I've always supported him, I guess. Um, never really went to a practice with him. Um, then his first fight came around, and I was terrified. And I just remember going to this fight and being so anxious and so overwhelmed with fear. Like we said, that outside person looking in, it's a very terrifying thing. Um, I'm pretty sure the entire time from when his walkout song started until when they raised his hand, I was, like, bawling my eyes out. And then when they raised his hand, I cried some more because I was so excited. Um, but after that, I was just like, okay, like, that was pretty cool. He didn't get hurt. It seems awesome. Then I um, just came in and watched a couple of his practices. Didn't really train that much, but came in and hung out with the team and saw the environment more. And I kind of fell in love with, I don't know, all of it. It was just seemed fun. It just seemed like... Did the people draw you in at first? Like It sounds like you, you started having a relationship with some of his training partners like... They became your friends too, yeah. and you're like, and they're like, you know, you know how it is at the yes. gym. And they're like, hey, you need to come out on the hey, mat. Yes, no, that's exactly. They basically drugged me on the mat for my first training <laughs> session. I remember, um, and I was like, no, 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 I'm just gonna sit and watch. And they literally forced me, but it was great. It was fun. Um, and then we did all sorts of crazy things and trained a lot. And I started to like it more and more. I didn't really ever think, oh yeah, I want to do this and then I want to fight like Jake. No, that was not, that was not really the idea. It was just more of, oh, I need exercise. Like it's fun to hang out with Jake. It's fun to have an environment we can be together in. But why uh, fighting? Most people don't go to fighting for exercise. I, I right? know, right? I don't know. I was a totally a swimmer and basketball player and runner, like the easy things that you don't get hit or hurt. Um, sorry, they're not easy. Oh, 
Less, okay. Anyways, they're really hard sports. I'm sorry. I just meant the less physical sports was definitely what I was into. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrestled in middle school for like a, one year, and I was nice. terrible, but it was fun. Um, but no, just going into fighting jujitsu. I did my first jujitsu tournament. I think after a week or two weeks of training, I literally got on the, out on the mat and got laid on for three solid r- matches, and it was really embarrassing and I cried again but um after that I was just like okay like I'm in like like you guys are talking about that control like I was like I can get better at this I can work at this and actually do better and so then when we started training Muay Thai and stuff I got excited and it wasn't until probably last summer or the fall really um we were in Iowa for a little bit um training with some really awesome people um that I was really like okay like I want to fight and I don't want to just fight. Like, I want to be good at fighting. And that was when, like, I really just, like, sparked this, um, oh, like, women can do this and be awesome. And I was like, I want to be awesome. Like, and so, I don't know. I started training more, and um, I wasn't really working when we were at Iowa. I was just training all day long and training at night with him, and it was awesome. And then coming back and training at Seas has just um, really, like, been a fire for me and really awesome. So I'm just excited about it as a sport. I think it gives you opportunity. Um, again, like you guys said, that control piece, not only jujitsu, but also like fighting in Muay Thai. And I'm just in that kickboxing Muay Thai phase right now, but that hope to advance and to keep working on my jujitsu so I can move into MMA and um, just keep getting better. That's why I love this sport because you can always get better. But I'll also say that I think when she started watching fights, I think, I don't even know who she watched, but there was some girl fight she watched, and she thought that that girl was a badass. And Megan like, Anderson. Oh, there you go. It's like, the I badass. Be like her. Yes. And that also helped. Yes, that helped a lot. So I was like, wow, there's these awesome women role models, and I think they're so powerful and beautiful. There's so many of them now, but she was definitely someone that... Mm-hmm. I was a little bit of a fangirl, but it's okay. That's awesome. <laughs> no, that's yes. awesome. So when was your first fight? Um, October. Of last year. Of last year, yeah. So not even a year ago nope. was your first, and it was kickboxing, right? Yes. First kickboxing fight, and that was how many months after starting like training? Like serious training? Yeah. I don't know. Like five? Four. Yeah, I mean, I had been like rolling jujitsu for almost a year by then, but yeah, serious training stand-up probably like four months, four or five months. Okay. So I was, I was anxious, but it was awesome. It was a great experience. I remember um, Jake was in my corner, um, and it was so awesome. Afterwards, I lost a horrible decision, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. It was a great fight. Um, I lost, and I was really bummed. And I just remember like hugging her and walking off, and I wasn't even sad. I just started like crying. Okay, I'm really emotional. That's okay. All of your guests can know that now. Um, but I was just crying, and then I realized I was like. I'm not even sad right now. And I had her blood all over me. I broke her nose, I think. <laughs> I was pretty excited. No, just kidding. But, oh, anyways, um, but we walked back to the locker room, and I was just kind of freaking out because her blood was on me. I was like, ah, get a towel, get a towel, like, get it off. And I'm crying. And Jake's like, why are you crying? And I was like, that was so awesome. <laughs> like, I was like, I want to do it again tomorrow. Like, so pumped, so energized. And it just brings so much life. So, yeah, it's just an awesome sport. So... Jake, how does it feel for you, uh, having started in the martial arts and then seeing your wife come into it and then seeing her compete? I know for me, like, um, 
oftentimes it's more stressful for the spouse on the outside of the ring than it is for the person in the ring. Because uh, once you're once you're in the ring or the cage, like you're you're focused, your adrenaline is pumping. Like you don't feel pain. You don't, you know, and it goes by in a flash. But if you're on the outside of the cage, it seems like everything's going so slow, and like you have no control over the outcome, right? And you're you're literally watching, feeling helpless yeah. to to affect yeah. watching your loved one get their face smashed in right yeah. mm-hmm. so, so how did it feel for you um we recently found out that i have a problem with empathy <laughs> recently <laughs> jake found out recently <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very empathetic as a person okay so once again it's like hey you you've been training hard you served that win or you were pretty lazy um let's fix it you know and so i would say when she started fighting the first fight um i was mostly working with her and we were in Iowa we came back and um, she didn't have a really great camp she didn't really have a whole lot of anything that was set in stone not a consistent not a lot of consistency in daily training but as soon as um, we came to Z's where she had that consistent training she had a consistent coach and I didn't have to be the coach um, it worked so much better um, because a coach relationship with your wife. I don't know if you realize this is not always ideal, if ever. Most and of the time, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's I don't weird. know. Yeah, and I don't know how some UFC fighters do that and, is, yeah. and train with their training partners. Speaking of partner, my wife Hi. just walked in. Hey, hello, hello. hello. And the dogs, uh, obviously, with their um, their contribution to the podcast as co-hosts <laughs> and their barking. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's tough to watch your, your spouse get in there. It is, but she helpless. also hasn't really been beat up yet, mm-hmm. so there hasn't been a lot of like anxiousness. She got head kicked pretty good this last fight, and that was one of the times I was like, she keep your hands up, but it wasn't like, <laughs> oh no, she's hurt, you know, like she, she's been pretty dominant in all of her fights so far, so um, I haven't had a whole lot of worry and fear yet uh, she trains pretty hard so, so that was your non-empathetic response right keep your hands up yeah and what what would you have preferred to have heard like after the head kick from your <laughs> well husband? maybe not during the fight if he would have said oh. something like during the fight I would think it would distract me but oh my gosh are you okay uh, oh you are you, is your head oh, oh my goodness that was probably the second response yeah the second it response. is he always comes back with empathy after he realizes okay that was a little intense let's bring it back for this emotional person yeah <laughs> that's me but yeah but i've seen him get pretty beat up and let me tell you it's terrifying yeah yeah it was horrible well you, you said you were like bawling the whole time okay that wasn't that was his first like, fight i didn't get beat up enough he didn't get beat up in that fight his like my last fight his last fight just the piss beat out of me what happened in that one Yikes. Uh, i got rocked uh the first shot and i had never been rocked before and so then i had never recovered and i just kept getting rocked <laughs> and then i forced a bad throw because i was like well i'm not beating him on my feet i kicked the crap out of his legs and slowed him down but i still getting beat up so i tried to land on top saying if i can get on top i could end the fight and um i landed on bottom and he landed in full mount so straddling on my belly and just beat the crap out of me and i was terrified so you were watching this from the outside <laughs> yep. and what were, what were you thinking oh so many things i was I don't even know. That was a long time ago. No. Yeah. I don't know. It was hard to watch. It was just like, oh my gosh, I know that he knows what to do. So I was like, what's happening? Like, why isn't he doing this? But then, like, hearing, he's like, oh yeah, like, I really have never been hit that hard before. And it's like, oh yeah, being hit in the head, experiencing what it feels like to be hit in the head pretty hard. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. But it's really hard to watch that. I love watching when he wins and when he's kicking somebody else's butt. I'm like, yeah. And then when it's opposite, I'm like, okay, we got to 
work on this, but... Yeah, Kelly says when she watches my jiu-jitsu competitions, she's a ball of nerves, too. Even though, like like you said, like she knows, like, she's super confident in my abilities. Exactly. And, you know, she almost... She tells me, you know, I'm her superhero. So, like, I know I... I know she has this in her mind that, you know, I'm... And she sees me, you know, on the, on the mat in practice. So, it, it but it's difficult to yeah. see, you know, me get in sticky situations or something. There's that chance of being hurt or serious mm-hmm. injury or getting beat up yeah it's always more scary you know? mm-hmm. but if you're just dominating every single person which at, you know at some point everyone else gets really good too and and yet we are willing to sacrifice <laughs> arm and leg and limb and neck um, for fun for fun <laughs> <laughs> for friendly competition yeah what does that say about us I don't know. Maybe we're the the crazy side of yeah. uh, the crazy side of consciousness <laughs> yeah, a little exactly. bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would say, you know, what we do is not so crazy, and what some people do, just you know, sitting on the couch and wasting their life away, I think that's crazy. You know, we're being given this once in a lifetime. You know, it's cheesy again, cheesy phrase. Once in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity to make the most out of our life and. You know, I look around, and as a therapist, I see that all the time, too. Like, people come to me, and oftentimes the story is, is just that they're, you know, they're sitting and just waiting for life to pass them by. Yeah. And it's it's saddening, you know. Um, our group of friends are the type of people who go out and, and they get stuff done, you know. And I think it's because we push each other in the gym, and we push ourselves. Um, I don't think a lot of people have things that they do in their life that challenge them yeah. like we do. Yeah. Like you said, it's such a challenge, I think, to show up every day. And I think that builds so much character and so much dedication that you start to realize, oh, like this applies in my regular life, too. Mm-hmm. That a lot of people, like you said, don't get that. So. And I think something you kind of talked about earlier about just knowing, hey, I can be this uncomfortable physically in a practice, and then I can translate that outside of life. I think there's something especially with this sport in general, that um, you get this excitement and comfort being uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. you get this, um, there's not that fear and anxiousness with being uncomfortable because you've been there and you were okay afterwards. And so I think that translates really well. Um, but I think a lot of people that don't have something that makes them uncomfortable, where they're forced to fight through that a little bit, I think that they just choose not to be uncomfortable because it's easier. I think mm-hmm. it's, there's less stress, there's less worry, there's less risk if you're not uncomfortable everything's kind of easy and comfortable right but life's not supposed to be easy (laughs) you know so and we it seems like we it seems like that's common sense right we know that life's not supposed to be easy like i said before life is suffering that's the buddhist gentle way of putting it that life is not going to be easy and yet with this knowledge that we know that it's not going to be easy people still seek the easy way you know why it's like we're it's like we're putting ourselves in these um, unwinnable situations, yeah. you know, where we're we're, we're expecting easiness, um, and then we're disappointed when it's not easy. Yeah, and then we give up. Right. And then we're unhappy with where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what helps you guys not give up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, give up in hard things. Um. A lot. I don't know. I would say a big part of me growing in my self-awareness has been to deal with hard things and to pull myself out of, like, feeling sorry for myself or depression or 
um, just my past and my youth, like pulling myself up from that, I was like, it was very clear to me. I could either sit there and be this person that's sad and not doing anything about it, or I could work harder and um, grow in that. And it's taken me a really long time, I think, to grow in my own um, confidence and in who I am and my identity. And I think there's always setbacks in that. Um, but just constantly working at it and constantly doing, like you were saying a lot, just instead of just sitting on the couch and wasting your life away, like actually doing things. Um, for me, it has a lot to do with my faith um, and just, um, yeah, my faith is really important to me. It helps me with that. Sorry, mm-hmm. I lost my train of thought. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, putting yourself in like challenging situations yeah, and, and then having you know, and having the faith to know that you're going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. And seeing, okay, I've done this before. I've dealt with harder things. I can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing, okay, you really screwed that up. Um, why and how and what does that change for your life in the future? And how can you adjust and um, keep growing? I think the people I've met in the gym and also just the gym has helped me build my kind of that suck it up like you've got to get past this you can't sit here and um weep and be sad you have to grow and be stronger from it and push on and have that great life that you want and um, I just love the idea that miracles come from ashes and like no matter what and how hard something was something beautiful is going to come from it and that's just really something that I try to keep in my heart on the daily and I just try to be really positive um and grow yeah, it's like some of the most beautiful things come from some of the most destructive yeah. or some of the, the ugliest, you know, as we would judge it as ugly, you know, I, one of my favorite flowers is the lotus flower, but lotus flowers grow out of muck and like this black mud. Yeah. It's like nobody wants to do anything to do with it, but then this, the most beautiful flower yeah. emerges from it, you know, Definitely. it's from, it's through struggle, I believe, through yeah struggle and challenge that we grow and we blossom and we really know and figure out who we are and get to see all those beautiful parts of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Thank you. So how about you, Jake? Like, how do you, what have you used in your life to, you know, in those, because we all go through those times in our life where we feel like quitting. Yeah, and that's what one thing I love about jujitsu the most is that you feel like quitting almost on a daily basis, <laughs> and you have to face that side of yourself, that that part of your brain, that conversation in your mind that's saying, "Hey, you're not strong enough. You're not. You don't have enough cardio. Um, it's just not your day. Let's be lazy." Yeah. You know? How do you get past that? How do you defeat that so that you don't quit in those moments? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I think part of it is. Um, surrounding myself with the right people. I mean, that's a huge part, I think. Um, even though it's an individual competition, it's definitely a team sport. Um, and life in general, I think, is the same way. I think, yeah, we live our own life, but it's a team effort, and I don't think we get anywhere by ourselves, really. I think everything is... Um, life is a team effort. Yeah, absolutely. We go so much further with each other than yeah. we ever would alone. Yeah. One of the things, as you're asking this, that just kept like standing out to me is just this idea of being forged by fire. Like... Um, like right like it's hard to sharpen a a real good sword or a knife without something really hot um and so i think you know putting ourselves or going through that struggle going through that i think it's just preparing us for bigger more difficult journeys and uh, i'm a huge um i guess to go second what you were saying i think faith is a huge thing for me as well that um the idea that 
like there's a plan behind what's going through because there's a lot of hard things that I'm like I don't even try to understand anymore because I'm like I'm not getting there I'm not figuring it out and it still sucks and now what and just knowing that so you know I don't need to understand it right now and that's okay um and I think probably the last thing that keeps me from quitting um when things get hard I, I try not to take anything really too seriously and I think that a lot of people can they probably get frustrated by that more than they appreciate it but um it's one of those things that I I, I don't think that life has to be serious to be better I don't think that it has to be serious to get through hard times I think for me not being serious and not being stressed out and not being overwhelmed helps me deal with a lot of things because I just don't like I still get overwhelmed like everybody else I still get stressed out but I think that just um having that kind of easygoing mentality and everything it's, it's gonna be all right whether I stress about it or not I you know I'm wasting a ton of energy by being pissed off being angry being sad being whatever else to deal with it I'm just gonna deal with it and I think that kind of plays a big role of, I guess that backs up my faith a lot is that you know I don't need to worry about it because what's gonna happen is gonna happen and so me being more whimsical about something or less stressed out or less serious about it um, helps me just find out what's next and go get through it because I don't sit there and dwell on it or whatever it is you know I think it's just life's too short so nice yeah that acceptance piece is huge and I think that's where a lot of people get caught up is accepting that we don't know yeah. and accepting that it may not be our place to know but still going for it anyway yeah. you know not giving up just because we may not have the answer but still seeking you yeah. know it's about this it's about the journey it's about the having the courage to keep looking yeah. uh, even if we know we may never find it you know and that's a that's a big fuel for me and what keeps me going when when I feel like quitting and when I feel like you know why the hell should do I even need to uh be studying consciousness and having these conversations with people if we're never going to get anywhere we're never going to get the answer that we're trying to put our finger on well it's not about getting the answer i think if i actually found the answer i'd be bored your podcast would be over yeah that'd be the end of the show but you know it's about the seeking it's about the journey it's yeah. about getting a new bit of knowledge a new jewel of knowledge with every single podcast guest with every episode and what i tell when I tell people a lot, like, I love dealing and working with people that are going through struggles and are going through difficult times, and more as, like, a peer and, like, a, a brother than, like, a guide, guidance kind of way, but, um, you know, I tell everybody that I talk to that's going through anything, like, just run towards that discomfort, like, just embrace it and run towards it, because you don't know what's on the other side till you get there, and if it's bad, it's bad, you figure it out once you're there. If it's good, then you'd have never known because of all the anxiousness and nervousness and scared and all the other feelings that you feel going through whatever you're going through. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think that that's something that I also am really a big proponent of is just running towards it, mm -hmm. with, you know, both feet going. And, and open arms. Yeah. And, and on that note, we're going to take a quick commercial break. As we take a quick break from Conversations with the Mind, I just want to let you know that this award-winning episode of the podcast is brought to you by MindOps. So go check out the MindOps website, M-I-N-D-O-P-S. Now back to the show. All right, so we're back here with Avery and Jake Sage. Um, and we left you guys with a little bit of a cliffhanger. So we, um, Jake was just 
about to open up a whole new can of worms. <laughs> so, so we left you guys with the phrase, and I, I am totally on board and believe in this too, of um, when you're feeling some sort of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, situational pain, whatever, spiritual pain, um, to go towards that pain, right? Rather than what seems like more of a go-to response or the easy way, right? Which is to turn around and escape the pain, which is what I feel a lot of people in our culture especially do with booze and gambling and sex and any number of things that we try and numb ourselves out with. But here's this weird concept of, of turning towards the pain and you know, it's scary for sure to turn towards yeah. these things, but in order to grow, like you're talking about, we have to push our way through it. And you said right before the right before the commercial break that we don't know what's on the other side of that pain until we break through it. And if we if we keep avoiding it and keep um, you know running away from it, we're never going to break through. We're yeah. never going to see what opportunities lie at the other end. Zero percent chance of anything good. Yeah. So. <laughs> Talk a little bit more about, especially in your, in your field, occupational therapy. Absolutely. Talk about going towards the pain. Um, I, and I've talked about this a little bit in, in, in past podcasts about uh, uh, somatic therapies that, that I do during um, you know, uh, psychedelic integration therapies or, or anything like that where we, you know, there's techniques where if, if you're feeling trauma or tension in a certain part of your body, then applying additional pressure to that body part or having the client flex that muscle group even tighter um, and having that whole having them hold it and connect with that feeling of intensified pain beyond what they're normally feeling mm -hmm. and then releasing it will produce um, a relieving effect yeah, or, yeah. or a releasing effect um, tension psychic tension that works the same way yeah. so you got to go towards the things that are scaring you towards the depressive thoughts in order to really deal with them yeah um so in ot occupational therapy um that setting changes so much depending on what your population is and where you work um i worked predominantly in a hand therapy clinic most recently and um so like a very general physical example is someone came in with a, a you know a rotator cuff repair and we're trying to get that puppy moving again and um you know, if someone comes up and they don't have the motion because they've been stuck in a sling for 12 weeks or whatever, um, well, now you got to start getting your arm because for the rest of your life, if your arm stays, you know, 20 degrees of mo motion, you can't really do anything. So um, some of that is, is incredibly painful, and we're just kind of cranking on that arm to get it all the way over your head because that's a normal range of motion for you. Mm -hmm. So um, when that hurts, you know, I always tell people that, you know, this isn't going to be your favorite thing we do today, but you'll thank me for this in a year. Um, because mm. in a year you're not going to remember how much it sucked right now. In mm -hmm. a year it's just going to be like, ah, oh, that sucked. But gosh, I can reach on the top shelf and grab out a can of soup or whatever. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that is just kind of embracing and understanding, hey, this is going to suck. Like, and it's getting somewhere. Yeah, there's nothing fun about this except for the fact that your arm is getting better every time we do this. And mm -hmm. after one session, maybe you don't see a huge difference. But after four, five, six weeks... Of therapy then your arms going all the way up and it doesn't hurt as bad and it moves better and you're stronger um, all those things start happening and then you don't really think about all the pain that that first couple sessions was of just moving your uh, you know moving that shoulder back so um, in a very just objective sense that's kind of embracing that and running towards that and being okay with it because at the end if we don't do anything it's not gonna be painful at all you're just not gonna move it mm -hmm. and you'll lock down and you'll never have motion and have to go back in and redo surgery again and 
then if you don't do it again, it's just a cycle. So um, in a very like literal sense of embracing the pain mm. and going towards it for those reliefs. Um, but yeah, I think also um, deal with a lot of um, patients who've had strokes or patients that have spinal cord injuries, um, which then you come into a lot of like the mental health and psychological stuff that's really difficult as well. Um, but you know, working with someone who's had a stroke, a lot of times depression sets in almost instantly, um, and it's more of like an adjustment disorder kind of a mm -hmm. thing where it is, I was perfectly fine yesterday, and now I can't eat for myself, I can't feed myself, I can't go to the bathroom by myself, I can't shower by myself, I can't put on socks, I can't put on underwear, right? And so you go from having this complete independence to having no independence. Mm -hmm. and. Um, for a lot of people, it's really debilitating emotionally. It's like um, an internal prison. Absolutely. Um, and that can be really difficult. And the other part with strokes that can be very difficult is that um, a lot of the rehab is spontaneous rehab is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Is that it comes back when it wants to come back. It doesn't come back because I'm working on your arm necessarily. It comes mm -hmm. back at a time and place when it's ready to come back. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of things that we do to compensate, right? So like, yeah, maybe you can't use your arm yet, but we're going to teach you how to get dressed anyway. We're going to teach you how to shower by yourself anyway. We're going to give you some of the, the power back. But embracing that, understanding that, hey, I can't do this on my own the way I used to do it. So now i got to change how I do it. Or someone else has to do it for me. And I think that's really um, one liberating about my job is that I get to give a lot of people power that they didn't know they had. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of really sad because there's a lot of people that just really can't deal with that emotional prison that you're talking about. It's just like... I lost everything. I'm very dependent on everybody now, especially when I would say most of us, if we ask what's the most important thing to you, you wouldn't say your independence. But I guarantee if we took it away first, you would say that. <laughs> so. And we're not just talking like independence, like we talk about with the country, right? Yeah. We're talking about like your independent ability to move freely. like right to, now, to get a drink of water. Yeah. If, if you wanted to go take a bike ride, you could go do it. Well, if I stopped you from being able to do that... I wouldn't like that. Yeah, it would suck. Or, a lot of people driving, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yep, we're here. We're taking your keys away. Well, that, that's one thing. But when you physically can't drive anymore, mm -hmm. that's hard for a lot of people. So you, t and that's interesting because in the, it seems like in the very early stages of rehabilitation, um, you're almost like trying to get the the patient or the client to decouple their idea of what pain means. So pain means dysfunction. Um, because I was just injured, right? And now you're trying to temporarily, at least in the beginning, try and equate pain with progress, right? Yeah. So when you feel pain, when I move it beyond what you feel is capable, you feel that pain, I want you to think you're making progress, Absolutely. right? But then eventually you need to switch back because pain, <laughs> pain, pain is, is always good. <laughs> right, pain is a useful tool to tell you what not to do afterwards, Absolutely. right? But it's almost like you're, you're playing this mental switch right after they got their ego and their identity smashed. Yes. And now you're helping them rebuild and empowering them again and teaching them like hey you still are capable of a lot of things and let's go towards the pain because you're going to progress a lot a lot further yeah. do you notice a difference um and we see this in mental health uh and i've read about it with with surgical patients but do you notice uh the placebo effect have a significant impact on on your patient's recovery if they're say positive about their recovery and, and latch onto this idea that pain equals progress and like okay it's gonna hurt but crank it versus people who are like really resistant and saying like I'm never gonna get better I'm always gonna be like this do you notice those spontaneous recoveries happening more frequently to people who are more positive about their recovery um, I wouldn't say it with like spontaneous recovery necessarily um, but I would say with just about every other 
type of recovery yet because mm-hmm. I think that um, even people that have a terrible outlook, spontaneous recovery hits them the same way. They still get that function back and that doesn't necessarily mean they're excited about it, it just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who has that positive mindset is more excited, they're probably gonna start using it more and then maybe the rest of the recovery will go better. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is, um, kind of what you're asking me is exactly why I love my job. I love that I get to be with someone on some of their worst days and I get to be a little bit of a spark. I get to be a little bit uplifting and um, because, and not, I guess also not everybody thrives with that. Like that's not, some people that just went through a traumatic spinal cord injury, they're not gonna wanna see me and say, hey, look, how, how's your day going today? You know, that's not the first thing they wanna hear. They just had a terrible day. But I think just having that positive uplifting environment, I think it, I think it accents the placebo effect amazingly. You say, oh my gosh, like you're doing so much better than you did yesterday. Yesterday you couldn't even lift your hand to your head. Now you're gonna be combing your hair tomorrow. You know, like just having that idea that, hey, I am getting better, I am getting stronger, I am getting more independent, I'm getting more functional. Um, I think absolutely, I think people do a lot better when they're positive and and optimistic towards recovery. Um, I think sometimes that's just a a barrier that we're fighting at the beginning of therapy. Um, You know, I worked with so many patients that they didn't want to see me, they weren't feeling good. They, they, well, they'll do therapy tomorrow. And so when we come back tomorrow, I'm not feeling good, we'll do therapy tomorrow. But the second we started therapy, it was like, wow, like, I wish I had started this two weeks ago. Like, mm-hmm. I feel so much better already, I'm moving. Uh, one of the terms I love using is motion is lotion for your joint, right? Like we get you moving, you're already feeling better, you're getting those endorphins, you're getting all these other uh, chemicals rushing through your body just because the blood's just filtering mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, I just think that people, when they have the right mindset, they have the right attitude, and it's a positive one, I think almost always they tend to do better. Now that being said, I've still seen a lot of people with great mentalities, great attitudes go downhill as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for most people, if I had the option and I had to choose either being really excited about rehab or not, I would choose to be really excited just because um, obviously I, I do rehab, I know a lot more about what's going on with it, but I think you're gonna go through it regardless, mm-hmm. so why not just have the right attitude? Let's have a positive, uplifting, building attitude and get through it in a positive, less stressful, less depressing, less anxious way. Yeah, so. and we were, when you were describing, you know, the, for the people who just don't do the therapy and then they just never move their arm and then it, it like calcifies in place. Yeah. Uh, and it's like that, it's stuck like that, um, you know, being of psychology mind my mind went immediately to that and and people's responses to trauma like emotional or psychological trauma too and it's almost like when a traumatic event happens right you either deal with the after effects of the trauma and get through it and grow from it or you choose not to deal with the traumatic effects and you just kind of ignore them or sweep them under the rug or numb them out with something else Mm -hmm. and then you, it's almost like that, that calcifies, that trauma yeah. calcifies and then people can never break free from, from that, that initial psychological trauma that happened. Whereas the person who accepts that it happened and then says, this recovery is going to suck, but I'm going to push straight towards you know, the trauma and <laughs> how we get through that. Yeah, excuse you. Um, um, then those people regain that flexibility or that range of motion again mentally. You yeah. know, they, they regain that. Um, now, Avery, for you, and this is something that I, I've always been curious about, you know, but never had an, an opportunity to ask you about, and that is your faith, which you were just talking about, right? Yeah. Um, Jake and I were talking about this a little bit before you got here, but you guys come from a completely different uh, religious slash spiritual background than I do. I kind of grew up 
going to Sunday schools as a kid. Um, I think just because my mom wanted to pawn me off for a couple <laughs> hours. Um, and so I learned a little bit about, you know, the story of Jesus and the Bible and stuff, but it never really took for me. Uh, and then in my teens, I became very resentful of organized religion because of all the, you know, the terrible stories we hear and Definitely. mind control and, you know, child... Um, prostitution, all these things that happen um, that are real, and so I was really disillusioned by it and became an atheist, but then through addiction and recovery and my process through that, um, I had a spiritual experience that was undeniable, and then that started, that sparked my journey to discover, like, what the hell was that that just happened to me, Um, and I found Buddhism, and as soon as I started reading Buddhism, it, it, like, the words jumped out at the page at me, and I'm like, these are all my thoughts written down on uh, in word and I never knew that that could be possible Um, so from that point on for me and we're talking about you know things that get us through those times that we feel like quitting uh, my spirituality and my faith and my hope that I glean from from that connection um, that is something significant for me that gets me through those times when I feel like quitting just knowing that there is something out there that is dictating or, or controlling or um, that it's the blueprint for all this stuff and yeah. it's beyond my understanding. Definitely. Can you speak a little bit about, um, if you're comfortable, yeah, speak a little bit about your faith and like how that has um, been a real powerful thing for you in your journey? And do you mean um, in terms of like the breaking through hard stuff or just... Yeah, breaking through hard stuff, but also like uh, how you guys rely on your sp- your particular spiritual teachings to help inform um, your conceptualization of consciousness, Definitely. right? So like Buddhism helps me understand this 3D reality and other dimensions and birth, life, death, afterlife... Mm-hmm. and the whole cycle of things and how I connect metaphysically with things. And so Buddhism informs how I believe reality works. Okay. And I feel like yeah. your guys' particular faith probably informs how you believe. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So a um, little background, I guess. Just growing up, I didn't really grow up in a religious family, um, like Easter Christmas kind of family. Um but I was invited to go to a camp when I was in middle school, and that kind of changed everything for me. I was introduced to this guy named Jesus who um, was painted as a father figure, and for me that um, has always been something that I didn't have, and so I was really um, drawn to this idea that, oh, someone is caring for me, someone is there to take care of me, um, and I think from the outside like that might sound crazy, but... Um, for me, it was something that was really powerful, and I latched on to. Um, She's like a male role model. Yes, exactly, into this figure that loves me and cares for me and wants the best for me, um, but also, um, yeah, just wants to take care of me and um, stuff like that. But anyways, growing into that faith was really hard. I didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian or if I even wanted to label myself a Christian because you said there's so many negative things that come alongside these things. But I knew that I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus and that, um, like you also said, there was something that changed and saved you and it was undeniable and it totally rewires us I think um and my faith really did that and grew me as a person um as far as getting through hard things with my faith uh, there's lots of verses I don't know in the bible but um just that idea of like having hope even in hard situations and how if we hope we're 
putting our trust in this bigger thing than us, God, for me personally, um, and putting my trust in, okay, I don't really know why this hard thing happened or why we fail this way, but he's going to use it and he's going to make us the best out of it. Um, and just that idea that if I have hope, that hope is building my character and my character builds my perseverance and my perseverance builds my hope. And it's just this like cycle. And you talked about listening to podcasts and I sometimes listen to sermons when I'm driving and I was listening to this sermon. Um, I don't even remember who the pastor was, but it's called the hope cycle. And it's just this idea of going through life and struggling like we've been talking about and struggling, but then growing from it and having hope and relying fully on this idea that he's bigger than myself. And like in your faith or your spirituality, do you Mm -hmm. call it faith? I don't know. Both. Both. Okay. You call it whatever. Okay. Sorry. It's just a word. They're words. But that we, um, we are trusting this bigger thing than ourselves and it just brings light to everything else. And like Jake talked about that, um, things are uncomfortable, but if we run through them, then we're getting that beautiful locust flower like you talked about. Yeah. I think it, in my head, this phrase kept going through my head while you were speaking. And it's, it's almost like in times of trouble or in troubling times, you can, you can say to yourself, everything's okay. And all of this is for my benefit. Yeah. There's you know? a reason in everything. Yeah, yeah. there's a reason. I'm, I'm being taken care of. The universe is taking care of me in the best way it knows how, and I need to have faith and trust. That... Regardless of if I can see it. Exactly. Regardless of how I feel right now, mm-hmm. feelings I've found are just like, mm-hmm. get out of here. Yeah, then, you know, I, I hear this uh, over and over again. The universe has zero obligation to inform us of its plans. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Very much so. We don't need to know the plans. We, we just don't. need to trust that there is some yeah. sort of order going on and that we're an integral part of that. Exactly. And we, f- we fit into that however we're going to fit into that. Exactly. And that there's so much more to the story. Like you guys have been talking a lot about like loss and hurt and people getting stuck there. And it just says hard to see that because there is so much more. And there is even just out your front door, like getting up and um, having hope in the future, I think is really life-changing to anyone, to mm-hmm. everyone. No matter what background or belief system you have, I think it's powerful, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, before you got here, we were talking about how all religions underlying all these different doctrines and, and the masks that they all put on to differentiate themselves from each other, um, which are oftentimes really minute <laughs> and insignificant <laughs> details, um, they all boil down to the same basic... Um, you know, a piece of advice, you know, to treat each other with kindness, treat each other with compassion, that love is that, that ultimate force that binds us all together, that binds us to ourselves, you know, that binds us to our environment. And I don't know, it's, it's one thing to hear that thing, to hear that, but it's a whole nother thing to live it and to experience it. Um, Because I can say, you know, yeah, I love myself, but to really feel that or to live it out yeah it's totally yeah. different right like yeah. um, and you know I don't I'm not getting on you guys for your personal beliefs but <laughs> these are just things that I see like I see people in western religion um, and I, it happens in eastern religion too I just don't see it in the west here as much but people will talk the talk but not walk the walk so 100%. people will say like you need to live your life according to the bible and Jesus and stuff and they go to church every Sunday but then every other day of the week 
you know, they're putting poisons and toxins in their body, they're beating their kids, you know, they're doing all these things that are not in line with their spiritual values. Um, that's not that's not the same thing that we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, learning those lessons and then integrating them in a way that helps us, like you said at the very beginning, being our very best self. Yeah, and growing from those things. Yeah. Like, I think everyone's imperfect, and yeah, but if you just are content with living like that and then going to church and putting on that smile and content with living in that hypocrisy or those lies, I think it's just... You're not becoming your best self, and you can't change if you are there forever. But if you're growing and you're learning from these mistakes, then you can move forward and advance. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and you guys met at a church camp, right? Is that <laughs> young life? Yeah. They get mad if you call young life church camp. No, I don't sorry. know why. I don't know. No, it's okay. That's I don't, basically what it is. It's actually. church camp. I don't know, but every time you're like, "Oh, you're going to church camp," they're like, "No, it's young life." <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Anytime I think of like. <laughs> any sort of camp like that that we engage in as kids um, right away I go back to uh, American Pie yeah. like at band camp <laughs> oh gosh and like all the, all the worst things happen yeah. at camp right Absolutely. or like oh man oh we, I just saw a comedian the other day um, and she was talking about those uh, pray the gay away camps right oh, no that's a thing yeah <gasps> where like parents don't want their kids to be homosexual so they'll send them to this religiously based camp to try and drill the homosexuality out of the kid and the the joke was hilarious because uh, they're talking about how these parents want their kids not to be gay and so they send them to this camp where they're surrounded by all these um borderline uh homosexual camp counselors and stuff and they're all put with the same sex people and like it's not conducive to their initial goals in the first place oh and so this it just adds another layer to the hypocrisy and the <laughs> idiocy that's behind some of these things oh yeah. that makes me so sad i didn't even know that was real yeah gosh yeah so where's uh, the love in that exactly and that's you know a lot of people harp on religion or spirituality because we talk about it and we feel it you know in our lives and how enriching that love and that presence is and then people will bash it saying like well yeah if god was real then why do all these bad things happen and why are there wars and why are there starving kids and stuff like that um but it's all it's all a balance you know you can't have one yeah. good thing without the opposing negative thing in existence like there has to be that balance if everything was perfect nothing would seem good like right. nothing would seem any better and so when I was in Thailand, I was speaking to this guy from Nepal um, who's Buddhist. And um, he said, you know, they live in extreme poverty in Nepal, like compared to our standards. And I'm going over there and he's, he's making this suit for me. So he's like, oh, rich American, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's making this custom suit for me. And uh, we get to talking and I, I ask him this question that, that I usually get like nasty looks from Americans when I ask them this question. Uh, when they bring up the idea of like starving kids and stuff. So I ask him like, so what do you think about, you know, your, your lot in life being born in Nepal in poverty? And what do you think about that in comparison to like how you think about my life living in America, um, being in a wealthier country? And I fully expected him to have the American answer that, that says that, uh, you know, my situation is unfortunate and I was treated unfairly and I deserve better and poor things like that right and poor me but his response was so much more beautiful and, and um, resonated with me because he's Buddhist too and he said 
you know, I was born in that situation because I must have done, I did something um, negative in a past life. Like, that's my karma. And he didn't say it in a way as if, like, I'm being punished and poor me, but he's like, yeah, I accept that. And it's my place in life to make my situation better for my next lifetime, right? Because in Buddhism, you kind of recycle and you're reborn over and over and over again. And how you act in this life determines how your life is going to be set up in the next life and so on and so forth. Karma is kind of like this momentum that keeps you going in one direction to the other. So he fully accepted and he's like, yeah, I'm poor and I grew up in poverty and, you know, some of my siblings died of these diseases because we didn't have medical care and that's just where I was born and I'm perfectly happy with that and you know it's my job to make other people happy like right now it's my job to make you this suit and make you happy and that just felt so beautiful and pure and I didn't feel sorry for him and I didn't pity him because of his situation but I was like yeah you know this guy gets it and he has so much less than we do here in the west oh yeah yeah so happiness is definitely not a reflection of we have and materialism and things like that. I don't think it needs to be circumstantial at all. Yeah. Happiness is a, it's an innate right of humanity. Yeah. In like the faith like I don't know with Jesus there's this idea that like um, once you've accepted that into your heart then you have this like overflowing fountain of joy that you can always live in no matter your hurting no matter your struggle like you have a free gift to live in joy and to be Mm. content and to be happy with who you are and um, where you're going and the life you have and like choosing that joy I think is choosing to walk in faith and choosing to um, trust God again Um, but yeah I think that really I think like you said religions all play back and forth on each other and I don't think anybody ever gives that thought before Mm. dividing I don't know but yeah I like your idea of happiness and you, it is a thing you can live I don't know but it's yeah. a choice it's uh, definitely absolutely. a choice and you have to quit guilt we need to quit guilt tripping ourselves and telling ourselves that we don't deserve it yes you know it's up to us each individually to give ourselves permission to be happy oh yeah even if I flip somebody off today even if I cause somebody some kind of harm unintentionally I still have a right to be happy if I choose to be you know Um, but at the same time I don't have a right to be happy at the expense of others if that makes sense right so with that I'll leave that uh, with all of you in the audience to contemplate a little bit more I want to thank you guys again for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank Thanks you. For us. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. I wish we could talk more. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys are moving to Vegas uh, at the end of the week. Yikes. And um, unfortunately, you know, we won't be able to train with you as often as we want to, but we'll come out and train with you out there. You're that. always welcome at Z's. Thank and um, we can always do these podcasts through uh, computer, too. Awesome. Ooh, digital. So, we'll do, yeah, we'll just do like a, like a conference uh, Skype type call in the future I want to hear all about your guys uh, new transition and new jobs and all that fun stuff so thank you guys for contributing to the podcast and to all the listeners out there I know that they're going to take something from what we talked about today awesome awesome Awesome. thank you see you guys next time Bye. bye dude what an amazing podcast 
I feel charged up. I don't know about you guys, but that kind of conversation gets me going. Woo! All right. Thanks again to Jake and Avery. Man, you guys are awesome. Hope to see you guys again soon. Uh, We'll be out to Vegas to train with you for sure. Thank you to all our listeners. Thank you for donating. Thank you for continuing to support us. Please, please, please like and share everything that we put out there. It helps us greatly. You have no idea what just one little click of the button does. It really, really helps. Also, please go check out our YouTube page, mind-ops.com or the Mind Ops YouTube page. Check them both out. The website is phenomenal. We're going to have our website developer on the podcast soon. Check out the website, check out the YouTube page, check it all out. Yeah! Makes me feel good. Alright folks, hold on to this one. Keep that feeling going. Keep exploring yourself and keep on sharing with other people. Alright? We love you. We'll see you next time.